Good morning, good morning. Welcome to the uh, Beat the Snow service, huh? How many 11 o'clockers we got out there? Thank you. Thank you for getting the message and uh, not being too angry about the message and coming on out a little bit early. And I want to give a shout out to uh, all those watching online. I know we have our uh, Beckley campus watching online. Let's hear it uh, from Levi. Eli, I mean, not Levi, Eli. I heard you, Eli. And our Marmette campus is watching online. Marcus, are you out there? Got some of those here. And uh, my mother's watching online this morning because their church in Mercer County has uh, canceled their service. So who knows? We could be broadcasting to the far reaches of West Virginia and beyond today. And hopefully some will watch this a little bit later uh, in the day. So thanks for coming. Thanks for coming out uh, early, if you were early, and uh, let's jump into it. I don't know what time the snow is coming. I asked the Lord for 11 o'clock, so that'll give everybody time to get out of here. Lord willing, uh, the Spirit doesn't take us a little bit longer today. Is it okay if He does? Yeah, those of you who live close and can walk to church, you're okay with that, aren't you? Our text today is, uh, is from Matthew 13, if you want to turn there. Matthew 13 is a great chapter we're going to spend some time in uh, today and in February. Today is a preview sermon for Pray for One, our preview sermon for Pray for One. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the, the background or some of the foundation for what we're about to embark on in our church in this year and beyond. So Matthew 13, <clears throat> I'm going to read it uh, from, the, from the screen, uh, and you guys just follow along with me. It's quite a lengthy passage. I don't have it in my notes. I'm just going to read it here. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great uh, crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables saying, a sower went out to sow. As he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? <clears throat> and Jesus answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. That is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their ears and hear with their 
see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and you did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. That's Matthew 13, 1 to 23 from the English Standard Version. So this is the background parable. This is the foundation for what we're about to embark on in this year with our theme, Pray for One. So let's get started into my part of the story. You see, God's story starts with humanity in a garden. You remember the Garden of Eden and the first parents, our first parents enjoyed every blessing from God. Every blessing that could possibly be enjoyed in life, they enjoyed it. They enjoyed it because they lived completely under the authority of God. They were able to enjoy these blessings based on their obedience of one commandment. You remember what God told them? He said, you may eat from every tree in the garden, but there's one tree. Do not touch it. Do not eat from it. And that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that's in Genesis 2.17. And you see, God had given them everything they needed, and he didn't even want them to taste what evil was like. And so for a period of time, we're not sure how long, Adam and Eve lived in perfect harmony with one another and with God. And then one day, as you remember the story, the adversary slithered in and told them a lie about God. He told them that God was holding out on them. He told them that God was lying to them, that they would indeed have all knowledge if they ate from this tree, that it would help them and not hurt them. And so they began to wonder, maybe our life would be more enriched if we disobeyed God, listened to the snake, and ate of the tree of life. And so by the end of the day, they made their choice. You remember the woman, then the man. And at the end of that day, it was a regretful, remorseful day for them because they lost the blessing of God were kicked out of the garden. And now their struggle every single day was with the, the, the power of evil around them and within them. And that struggle that they embarked on on that day is the same struggle you and I are in today. It's the struggle against the power of evil within us and around us. Now, the good news is 
that God never abandoned them. He kicked them out of the garden, but he did not abandon them, right? He didn't abandon them. In fact, he made a promise to them, and he said, look, you're going to be dealing with the consequences of your choices, your evil choices, your bad choices, but I'm one day going to take care of evil. I'm I'm going to make everything right again. You remember this promise? He told Abraham that I'm going to bless you, and through you all nations will be blessed. Indeed, the promise goes further back than Abraham in Genesis 12. It goes back to Genesis chapter 3 where God told the serpent that you're going to strike him on the heel, but a seed of the woman, the seed of the man, is going to crush you on your head. And Of course, we know today, looking back, that Genesis 3.12 refers to Jesus. In fact, we could argue every verse refers to Jesus. And so Jesus is coming. Jesus would come, and under his rule, the blessings of God would return and be available not just for a few people, but be available for all people, regardless of race or background. And his rule would be so comprehensive and so peaceful that men, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 2, would beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. In other words, the weapons of war would be a thing of the past, would be only read about in the history books, and now man would get back to farming and peaceful life. I know farming doesn't sound very good to some of you, but uh, honestly, you should plant a garden this year. If nothing else, a uh, bucket garden and Watch it grow and tend to it and relax in the, in the goodness of God as he allows the plants to grow. And uh, at, at one time, we lived under God's complete blessing. Now we're under the curse of sin. And once again, because of Jesus, we will live with the full knowledge of God and he will wipe away the tears of all the evil, pain, and suffering that come to us. Remember, this is the story of heaven, and the whole earth, the Bible says, will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And all this is promised for the day when the people of God are brought back fully under the full authority of God, like in the Garden of Eden. Now, when Jesus came, he brought some word from God. He was the long-awaited Messiah, and he said, I have come not to abolish the prophets, I've come to fulfill them. So when he came, he said in Matthew 4, 17, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is what? It's at hand. It's here. It's here. And uh, it's here, and so if you want to live in the kingdom of heaven, you have to come under the authority of the king. You know, a lot of people want to go to heaven, but they don't want to live the life to get there. You hear what I'm saying? There are a lot of Christians who, uh, you know, they want to enjoy the blessings of the church or the blessings of the kingdom or even the blessings of heaven, but they don't really want to repent. They don't really want to leave their life of sin in order to have what God says you can have. Live under the authority of the king, and you can have the blessings of the kingdom. Now, as we look at this preview sermon for our Pray for One theme for this year and beyond, this is uh, what I'm calling kingdom strategy. Kingdom strategy. In other words, here's the question that I think they were asking when Jesus came and have been asking ever since. 
The question is, what is God's strategy to get people out from under the power of evil and back under his authority? What's God's strategy? You know, if Jesus said, I'm here, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, it's here, I've come to fulfill the law and the prophets, what's the strategy for God to do what he did in the Garden of Eden? What is that strategy? Now, we're not the first ones asking this question. John the baptizer asked this question. You remember John? John's uh, life was very peculiar life. He, he grew up, uh, you know, and then fulfilled his calling, went to the desert, began to preach, and he got reputation, you know, of being a wild man, eating locusts and honey and wearing uh, camel skin and all kinds of uh, different things he was doing. And if you get depictions of him, on the Chosen series or on other series, he's a wild-looking man. But he was doing what God told him to do. He was preaching the truth because he also preached what Jesus preached. He said to repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. And so by Matthew chapter 11, John the baptizer, we'll call him JB, he has preached the truth so hard and so straight that it got him in prison. Herod didn't like what he preached. So here he is languishing in a prison and he hears everything that Jesus is doing, exactly what he thought and believed that Jesus would do. And he sent a question. He sent one of his messengers to Jesus and he asked him this question. Matthew eleven three, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Now this is kind of an odd question unless you think a little bit more about it, which we're going to do. John's been preaching about him. He's been saying this is what he's coming to do. This is who he is. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. But now John is in a prison and he's saying, hey, if you're really the one, you know, I, I told the people you were the one. I told my disciples that I must decrease and you must increase because you're the one. I pointed to you because you're the Lamb of God. I said that because I believe you're the one. And so my question is, John is saying, if you are the one, and if the kingdom really has come, why am I in prison? Why am I in jail? If the kingdom has come, let's break loose and let's get busy enjoying the propagation and the authority of the kingdom. You know... If I'm honest with you and you're honest with me, I think we're, we're kind of at the same place JB was at. I look at our world today and you can look at our world and we can say, God, if you're really in charge, if you're really on your throne reigning as the king, then why is our world so messed up? Why is, it, why is there so much evil in the world? Why is there so much corruption? Why is there... I mean, so, so much division and hatred if you're really the king sitting on the throne. Don't you wonder that sometimes when you see stuff happening, not just out there, but right here in our own communities, bad things are happening. And as we look at the church in America, we can look at the church, capital C, we can ask God, if, if you're really on the throne, if you're really in charge, why is there so much complacency why is there so much 
tendency toward compromise in the church? Why is there so much confusion if you're really the king? And even more, we can look at our own lives and say, God, if, if you're really the king, if you're really on your throne and I am a subject in your kingdom, if your spirit really lives in me, why, why do I still struggle with temptation, lust, and greed, and apathy? I mean, seriously, we're asking the same question that John asked, and they're tough questions. If God's in charge, why do bad things happen to good people? And these questions, I'm afraid, are causing a lot of people to doubt. They're causing people to doubt their faith or even the existence of God or the goodness and purpose of the church. And I think sometimes we let these questions get the better of us because we want to see God wipe evil out if he really is the king. If we're expecting God to do that, then the world we're living in today is going to cause us some confusion. So in order to prevent this confusion in this year of pray for one, let's talk about the strategy, kingdom strategy that God has for bringing people back under his authority. So Matthew 13 is the parable of the sower. You're familiar with that parable. We heard it a lot in the church and it's been used everywhere. It's a great analogy. It's a great metaphor for the kingdom. It's it's a beautiful picture. Everybody can relate, you know, to this sower sowing the seed. But I think maybe we miss, because we're so familiar with it, we miss the impact of it. We miss the, the real meaning of it. So I'm going to tell you a different parable today, okay? I'm going to tell you a parable I heard recently. And I think by hearing this other parable, you're going to be able to appreciate a little bit more the parable of the sower. This is called the parable of the bomber. Parable of the bomber. <clears throat> and it goes like this. A certain bomber went out to drop his bombs. As he went out to drop his bombs on an evil city, he noticed it contained many different kinds of buildings. Some of the buildings were nothing more than simple wooden structures, and when the bombs fell on them, they were shattered and completely flattened. Other buildings were made of reinforced concrete and still steel. But when the bombs hit them... They too were completely destroyed. In fact, everywhere a bomb landed, it flattened and destroyed everything it hit. After the bomber finished dropping his bombs, he flew overhead to get some aerial photos to show that his work was complete, and he noticed that every single place where a bomb hit, it completely destroyed. There were craters from one end of the city to the other end, like bubble wrap, wrapped across the table. And all activity had stopped. All enemy activity was resisted, was flattened, was shattered. And so the bomber flew back uh, to his uh, place of origin and his mission was complete. The disciples asked, what is the meaning of the parable of the bomber? And so he told them, the bombs are the ministry of the word of God. The city represents the evil world in which we live. The buildings 
represent the agents of evil being used by Satan to fight against God. Some agents are weak. Others are strong and reinforced. But wherever the word of God hits, all evil is destroyed. Now, I don't know about you, but I wish Jesus had told a parable like this parable. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to drop a bomb, let's call it a truth bomb, a gospel bomb, and have all evil destroyed? Now, I struggle with this a little bit. but Jesus didn't tell that parable. He told, he told the parable of the sower. Why did he tell the parable of the sower instead of the parable of the bomber? Well, we could get technical and say, well, he didn't know about bombers. Well, he did know, but the people didn't know. They wouldn't have understood that. You see, God's strategy to bring people back under his authority is not by dropping bombs. It's by planting seeds. Now, when it comes to our world today, this is a little bit of a struggle for us as Christians, especially when it comes to big population centers in our country. I will refrain from being more specific than that, but wouldn't you like to just drop a gospel bomb on certain cities in our country and have all evil or inclination to evil be destroyed How many of you like that? Wouldn't that be great? Or maybe you have family members in your life and they're just on the wrong path. The devil's got a hold of them. This has got a hold of them. And they're going down the wrong direction. They're headed for destruction. They're going to ruin their their life. They're going to ruin their marriage. They're going to ruin their family. They're going to ruin their reputation. And you just, if you could have just a moment of their time and drop a truth bomb on them, and all of a sudden they walk away from that conversation like, you are right. I don't want to do that anymore. How many of you would like to have that? Let's get a little more personal. Why I would like for this truth bomb, the parable of the bomber to be good, I'd like for it to fall on me. I'd like for it to fall on me. To destroy all the evil, all the inclination to evil, all susceptibility to temptation, just wipe it out, God, with a a verse of scripture, with a worship song or something, God, just wipe it out of me, cleanse it out of me. I don't want to deal with it anymore. I don't want to touch it anymore. I don't want to be around it anymore. How many of you like for that to be the case? Sure we would. But Jesus didn't tell this parable of the bomber. Because he's not about dropping bombs. He, he's about planting seeds. I think about Jonah. Jonah, uh, you know, in God's day, in Jonah's day, God uh, really dropped a bomb there. That was the Old Testament. And Jonah was reluctant to preach to the people of Nineveh because he knew God was going to drop this truth bomb. They were all going to repent. And that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. The Bible says not only did the people repent, this is an amazing verse, not only did the people repent, but the animals repented, if that's possible. It was a full repentance. It was an annihilation of evil in that day for that time. And Jonah knew that was going to happen, but his prejudice kept him from being a willing servant of God. I think about the day uh, Billy Graham crusades would go through a city. And you remember seeing these images 
where hundreds and hundreds of people would come out of the stands and run down the aisle and ask the question, what's next? What do I do next? And uh, Lord willing, uh, the people who, the counselors they responded to told them the truth. What, what should you do next? Go to a Bible-believing church. Get into God's word. Repent. Be baptized. Serve the Lord. Be faithful until death. I remember the days of revivals. How many of you ever went to a revival? Yeah, I've preached revivals even in my time here. Even just last year, I preached a revival down in Monroe County. And I remember the days of revivals when the house would be full and people you would see uh, come to the Lord. Now, those were long time ago days. We don't see that much anymore. We can't even get our own people out to a revival let alone lost people. Our culture has changed. Our society has changed because you might say, why don't we have those crusades anymore? What happened to all those people in these cities, hundreds and hundreds of them? What happened to them who who came to the Lord, who gave their life, who trusted Christ? What happened to those people? Where'd they go? It didn't change that city because we still need to drop some bombs on some cities, don't we? So that's, that's the difference between what you and I might think to do when it comes to the gospel message, if we could just get them into church and the preacher drop a bomb on them, that'd be good, wouldn't it? Yeah. Hey, preacher, my neighbor's here today, and let me tell you what you need to tell him. Or, uh, you know, my, my husband's here, my wife's here, my kids are here. If you could just mention this, and uh, I won't rat out anybody who's ever asked me to do that for uh, people in their life, but uh, I'm like, you know, I'll try to work that in. I'll try to work that in. Sometimes people say, uh, hey, preacher, today your sermon was like, like it was right at me, right at me. And what I don't tell them is, yeah, your wife called me <laughs> last night. <clears throat> That's why it's right at you. And every other husband out there. Don't miss the spiritual warfare going on all around us. Don't miss this moment in time. This is 2022. After the past couple years of being forced by an evil pandemic to circle the wagons and to assess if we're going to survive and being thrust into a battle against the agents of evil, some of which are simple structures and some are reinforced by worldly systems that are so dark and deep and intricate that you and I wouldn't even recognize them if we saw them. There's spiritual warfare going on around us. It's going on everywhere. And it it has many of us in its grip, and we don't even know it. We don't even know it. And we need to examine those things that have parts of our heart or all of our heart and ask God, is this, is this what you want for me? Is this where my pursuit should be? And I think we'll always hear God say, your heart should be in a pursuit for my heart. And don't try to say that God told you something that he never told you. 
but it's what you want to hear. It's what you want to hear. But God didn't say that. God didn't say that. Search the word, search the scriptures, because that's what God said. God's not saying anything that contradicts scripture today. He's not talking out. There's no scripture being written today. We have enough. The word of God is sufficient. It is enough for us to read it. And the combination with the Holy Spirit working with it in our hearts, you will not live three lifetimes and exhaust what the word of God wants to do in your life. You, you won't live a thousand lifetimes and exhaust the word of God in your life. And so it is a powerful thing. And here's the strategy. Now, in Mark 4, 13, Mark 4, 13, Jesus said this parable. I, I wasn't really clued into this until I began studying for this message. Jesus said this parable, the parable of the sower, is the key to understanding all his parables. That's pretty interesting. You can check that out. Mark 4, 13, the same This parables in in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Jesus told him in Mark, he said, if you don't understand this parable, you can't understand any parables. And what is this parable? It's the parable of planting seeds. So as we lay the groundwork for 2022 and beyond, pray for one, I want to just give us two or three words of encouragement thinking about this parable and how it's going to impact our church and our lives and our marriages and everything in us uh, as we defeat this consequence of this pandemic and stop just looking inward, and it's time for the church to look outward again. It's time for us to think about lost people. It's time for us to stop wondering if we're going to survive and start living in Thrive, if you will. Let's live in that, but our work is out there. So we need to be patient. We need to be patient. Not all seeds will take root. You know, when a bomber drops his bombs, there is instant result. But when a, I don't know if you plant a garden, but if you can imagine this, after you plow up your garden and then you go plant the garden, it looks pretty much the same. If you're planting seeds, I'm not talking about tomato plants and things like If you're planting seeds, the moment you're finished planting all your seeds, it looks the same, doesn't it? It looks the same. But if you were to drop a bomb on something, it would be Im- immediately different, changed. Think about a Sunday school teacher or a student minister or even a preacher You know, week in and week out, we teach Sunday after Sunday, month after month, year after year. And while we would love to have instant result, we would love to have the whole congregation, 15 to 20 at least, come down the aisle and say, I'm giving up that life of sin. I'm giving up that pursuit. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus harder. We would love that. But let's be honest, we don't see that, do we? A youth leader can teach year after year after year. A children's minister can teach year after year after year. And maybe you see some result eventually, but it takes, it takes patience, doesn't it? I love that passage that we just read 
<clears throat> that Karen added that little commentary in, in the middle of, for as the rain and the snow come down. What snow? Snow, snow. What God said there, if you put my word out there, it's going to do what I said it's going to do. It might not do it in your time frame. might not do it when you want it to happen. But my word is that powerful. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. So be patient. God didn't say the results will come fast, but they would come. Watching gardens grow takes patience. It also takes some work on our part. It takes, it takes us to keep going in that. Some uh, seeds fall on the path, and they'll be eaten up by the birds. Some uh, will, will take root but be scorched by the sun. Some will be choked out by the thorns. Some will take root and grow and produce a harvest. JB was hoping to skip over all the planting season and all the growing season and go right to the harvest. But Jesus said, we're not, we're not dropping bombs right now, John. We're planting seeds. We're planting seeds. That's the kingdom strategy. So be patient. And secondly, be plentiful. Be plentiful. You know, if you were looking at this parable as an agricultural lesson, it wouldn't really be a good lesson. I mean, this sower indiscriminately sowed seeds everywhere. I mean, it would be like, whoa, wait a minute. Keep them in a line. You know, my dad taught me how to make a straight line in a garden. And then a friend of his said, don't make a straight line. If you make a crooked line, you get more seeds in a crooked line. If you're a gardener, you'd appreciate that. But be plentiful because we don't know, we don't know where a seed will take root, do we? Some of the seeds this sower sowed went on uh, the path and some in the thorns, some on rocky soil, some of it went on good soil. And here's the thing about this parable. We don't even know what kind of soil we're sowing into until we start seeing a result. It's not like you can be, um, you know, kind of discretionary and go out there and stand on the on the porch of the church and watch people walk by and say, no, nope, no, nope, no, nope, he's not worth it. He's, he's not going to take any root. Okay. Okay. No, she, no, she's not good either. Okay. There's one. Let me plant a seed in that one. Hey, come over here and let's talk about Jesus. We can't do that. Can we? We can't do that. We have to be plentiful. We have to, we have to sow the seed everywhere. The condition of the human heart is only known by God. And when that seed starts growing in that person, when it starts growing, then we can say, oh, now we have some good soil here. Or if that seed starts growing and <clears throat> eventually they get too busy for church or too busy for Jesus, we'll say, well, they, they must have had thorny soil because the cares of this world and the desire for riches is choking out the word in their life. And we could just, you, we got to sow the seed and then we can determine that was good soil, that was bad soil. Let me tell you something, folks. We cannot afford not to plant seeds. Don't be discretionary about this. You plant the seeds and let God bring the one he wants you to pray for. Don't have, if you already have somebody that you know that you want to pray for to reach with the gospel, you want to reach them, then that's fine. Go for that. 
But you keep sowing some seeds because there might be another one. And as we go through this series in February and early March, you'll see how that's going to unfold. So be patient. Be plentiful. We don't know where a seed's going to take root. And lastly, be persistent. God's going to bring the day of harvest. The apostle Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Let me give some encouragement to those of you who've been planting seeds. In others, without seeing any results, maybe it's a spouse. You know, I've seen, uh, I've been around long enough now to have seen wives pray for their husbands for years and years and years. And I've seen some of those husbands come to the Lord and some still haven't. I've seen parents pray for their children. You know, children get up to their teenage years and they start trying their own thing and going their own way. And finally they get up in their 20s and they go start experimenting with stuff and they go down the wrong road and parents pray for them. Will they come back? Will they come home? Join me, pastor, in praying for, for, uh, for my son or my daughter. And I've seen some of those prayers answered where kids have come home. But I've, I've still, we're still praying for others. We're still praying for others. But we got to keep planting those seeds. We, we can't give in to the evil. We can't compromise with the, with the, with the temptation. We can't, we can't let them off the hook. You know, sometimes we just want to get along with them, so we just let them off the hook. But we can't do that. I'm not saying be hateful. I'm not saying be angry. I'm saying keep reminding them there's a better way than the life you're living. There's a, there's a better path than the road you're walking. And I want you to come walk with me. And lots of stories are going through my head, uh, you know, about parents dealing with grown children who are living in sin, living outside of the will of God. And there's this great big temptation, especially when kids start coming, that we're just going to compromise and just endorse everything you're doing. We Listen, parents, grandparents, we can't stop planting seeds. We can't, we can't because we don't know when the seed is going to take root. And if You've been working on yourself. You know, I talked about the bomber hitting me. Yeah, wish it would. And just wipe out any inclination for evil, for greed, for lust, for uh, any kind of sin. Just wipe it out. Just wash over me and wipe it out. But we're planting seeds in ourselves. We read some scripture. We have some prayer. We talk to people. And we, we can't give up. We can't give up, can we? We got to keep planting the seed of God's word in our life because we don't know when that's going to take root. We're going to do all we can to give it a place to rest and to put down some roots. The Apostle Paul, again, to the Corinthian believers said, Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now, I know we're going to be tempted to run with this slogan half a year. Strategically, I have uh, planned this series uh, the month of February and the first two Sundays of March, and then another part two series later in the summer 
to propel us into the fall because I think, I think this, this is the strategy we need to be about right now. We need to be about planting seed. Just imagine if every person in this church was serious about planting a seed in, in someone, a gospel seed, a truth seed, and praying for that person, realizing that we may first need to work the ground a little bit. We, we may first need to uh, broach the subject or, or uh, you know, just keep it in prayer and look for an opportunity to, to converse with or to relate to. It might be this year, it might be next year, but you're going to plant a seed. And what if every single person did that? Well, this, this church would double in size. And it's not just about numbers here. What if what if the people you reached weren't even in this area? But they came to Jesus. It's the kingdom that matters. Because we're working for the king, all of us together. Will you join us in praying for one? Understanding that the kingdom strategy is not to drop bombs. So I'm telling you this because I don't want you to get your best arguments laid out. You understand? I don't, I don't want you to take those notes and say, I'm going to hit them with this. My, my brother-in-law, he needs to hear this. No. No, that, that's, that's going to get you disinvited to Thanksgiving dinner. That's not going to win him to the Lord. I want you to say, okay, he needs this. and Maybe one day he'll get this. But my job is to plant a seed in his life so that God can water it and watch it grow. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the strategy, the strategy that puts the burden back on each one of us. It's not a bomb-dropping strategy. We know if that was your strategy, you could have wrapped this thing up a long time ago. But God, it's a seed-planting strategy, and we're sowers. And give us strength to sow. Sow in us, Lord, your word and your truth so that your truth and your word can grow in us and help us to sow in others so we can watch the word grow in them. That's my prayer for this church this year and beyond as we pray for one. God, thank you so much for the gift of your son who died on Calvary for our sins. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. We just stand and let's worship.